Welcome to episode 11 of Calling All Communicators. I'm Zach. And I'm Cindy. And today we had a very special guest on. I say a very special guest every time, but it's true. They are all very special. <laughs> um, this, this guest uh, is Sarah Duran Kaufman. She is a uh, also a graduate of, of the Purdue University uh, Communication PhD program that I'm in. And she's been an assistant professor now um, at Manchester University for a year. And we talked to her about her research around pets and dying and how people handle their grief. Yeah, I, I really appreciated having Sarah on because this is something that our family's gone through four times. Yeah, way more than I would like. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you were around for every one of those pets' death. Um, yeah. And we know how difficult that situation is. It's hard. I mean, I remember uh, Lucy was our first cat who died. We had, uh, so right now, my parents have just just Gus, <laughs> the English bulldog. Gus the um, dog. <laughs> but yes, Gus the dog. But at different parts, uh, when I was growing up, we had we had three cats at one point. We did. Um, we had we had two cats at one point. We had one cat for a pretty extended period of time until she died about a year and a half ago. Um, so yeah, but I mean, I remember our first cat who died, and I mean, I was probably I don't know, probably about ten maybe, and I was devastated. I mean, that yeah. was really, really, really hard. Like yeah, it's, it's hard that. for me. It's hard for me to even think about how difficult that was. Like that was hard. It's hard for me to think about because dad and I could have benefited from advice from Sarah at the time because we didn't handle it correctly. And now you I don't think, I don't think that. a lot of people, yeah, I don't think a lot of people do. <laughs> yeah. So, and, you know, cause you didn't get to say goodbye. We messed up. Because when we took her into the vet that morning, we didn't understand that we were going to be saying goodbye. Yeah. But we should have held up and let you say goodbye. But anyway. Just in case. Yeah. 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 And I also asked Sarah on this podcast for the um, one thing I see a lot of is parents who have children who are away at college and then mm -hmm. have to have that conversation about a death or um, their pet's last days. And so she has some good insight to share on that. Yeah, she did. And and when you mentioned that, and specifically when you talked about um, our cat who died about a year and a half ago, um, I think it was you who called me um, about it and saying, yeah, we have to put her down. I think it was you. And I was actually coming back from the National Communication Association Conference, funnily enough. Um, I was in the Seattle airport oh. uh, when I got when I got that call. So I got that call and basically immediately boarded wow. a four-hour flight across the country. Oh. And I basically, you know, sat in that sat in that chair late at night knowing you know that whole time that you know the, our our cat that I loved so dearly was going to get put down the next day which was tough it definitely was but you it know was. I mean there was nothing else that could be done there you know like there was no way for me to get back to be able to to say goodbye to her or anything like that there's simply no chance that that could happen no so yeah, yeah so sometimes so yeah sometimes you just gotta you know deal with what you got yeah unfortunately yeah. Well, I love the fact that she is researching this because it's a uh, topic that so many people can benefit from. Yeah. I mean, so many people have pets, you know, whether it be a, a hamster, which I had in high school, by the way. It was <laughs> adorable. Yes. Doug the hamster, <laughs> who was, I, na I named her Doug, even though she was a girl hamster. <laughs> I named her after my favorite uh, Tigers pitcher, which 
Coincidentally, I also named both of my cats after famous Detroit Tigers pitchers. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess you could say I'm a Tigers fan then. But anyway, yeah, so it was awesome talking to Sarah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get going with Sarah's episode. Welcome to another episode of Calling All Communicators. This is episode 11 featuring Zach. And Cindy. <laughs> your host every day. But we also have a special guest because I shared an office with this individual for, I can't remember exactly how many years, but it was a couple at least. Um, we've had a lot of talks about our own research, but not as in-depth as we're about to go today. So it should be pretty interesting. I'm talking about doctor now <laughs> when i first met her she wasn't Yay. a doctor yet uh, but it's dr uh sarah duran kaufman uh her research interests mostly center around um companion animals and and how people handle their death and she also focuses mostly on interpersonal communication as well but also also a little bit of a side of health communication so sarah you kind of get a little bit of everything sarah just graduated with her phd in communication in 2022 so about a year ago at this point, and over the past year, she's been working as a visiting assistant professor at Manchester University in Manchester, Indiana. So very, very cool, Sarah. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. So um, kind of the first thing we usually start off with asking our guests is, how did you get interested in communication? Uh, was it, you know, like, from a very young age, you were interested in, you know, like all types of communication? Did it happen later in life? Yeah, thank you. So I think like a lot of people who end up in communication or in communication careers, I wanted to write. So I actually started <laughs> out in, in interested in journalism, actually. So um, I went to San Francisco State University for my bachelor's degree, and um, it was fabulous. Um, I enjoyed my time there, uh, and I enjoyed the work I did. But when I graduated, this was right around the time the internet really started to change the journalism landscape. So my professors, for example, told us as we were graduating saying, hey, in five years, things are going to really be changing. So um, I went into my first newspaper job with that in mind. And then I realized their prediction was actually happening a little bit faster than I thought because <laughs> things started happening and started changing very, very, very quickly. Uh, and so with that, I was thinking I needed to perhaps find something that was a little bit broader um, that um, maybe took my kind of career in a different direction. So I decided I needed to perhaps get my master's in communication um, because I wanted to continue with industry. So um, I worked in both administration and communication in Portland, Oregon for a few years um, while getting my master's in communication. And so when I was there though, I really started thinking um, about kind of our relationships with the natural world and mm -hmm. our connections with companion animals or pets. And I'd always been interested in this topic and this subject <clears throat> But in, and as I got further down the road in like my communication studies, I started like thinking to myself, why are we not talking about these things? Why are we not examining these things from a, you know, a scholarly perspective? Why are we not looking closer at our discourse even about the natural world and the, you know, animals and even plants in our lives, right? So during my master's, I had an opportunity to do a research project for actually an urban communication graduate class. Um, mm -hmm. And my project ended up examining um, uh, communication amongst staff and volunteers at a humane society 
And that ended up being my master's thesis. And then I didn't know at that time that I would eventually be in academia. I thought I was mm-hmm. going to continue with industry. And so I ended up getting a communication job overseas uh, in a St. Kitts and Nevis. It's a small two island nation. Um, it's about southeast, uh, 1300 miles southeast of Miami, Florida. Very cool. And I think this is the first time you told me this. That's, that's interesting. Cool. I didn't know that. Oh, wow. I, I okay. I, at least maybe you've told me, but I just didn't remember. I don't know. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. So I worked in communications for a veterinary school there. Um, hmm. And I did all sorts of work, internal, external communication. Okay. Um, I was even the co-host of a live radio show, which was super Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So we did all sorts of things there. And, <laughs> you know, it was during that time I continued to think about I think partially because I was surrounded by communication. I'm sorry, I was surrounded by faculty and students like in the veterinary mm-hmm. world. Mm-hmm. So that got me kind of thinking more about this, this topic. And then while I was there as well, my partner and I had to um, put our dog down that we'd had for many years. And we went through a pretty intense period of grieving for that animal. And so Again, it kind of got me all got me thinking about communication, our relationships with animals, how we talk about these things and these very significant events in our lives. Um, and I had no idea that was going to be initially be the focus of my dissertation. But as you know, <laughs> Zach, you know, we study all sorts of different things and we have the opportunity to study all sorts of things in graduate school. Right. Um, and I had no idea that was going to eventually be um, the topic of my dissertation. And, and it was so um, fast forward from there. I came to Purdue and. And the rest is history with that. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. So when you got to Purdue, was it like, did you know, like coming into Purdue that you wanted to do something uh, focusing on like animals and communication? Or did you did that kind of happen a little bit more once you got here? No, that was actually if I knew that was a focus that I oh, wanted okay. to continue with. And, um, I, you know, Purdue was the place I wanted to be um, Mm -hmm. because I had an advisor that was very supportive and faculty that were supportive and they seemed interested in that line of research. And so I knew I would wanted to do something within that subject. I just didn't know what that was going to be. As, as you know, projects change and you learn different research methods and you different, you learn different ways to look at, at topics and subjects and themes. So um, yeah, that was something that I came into Purdue with, and I am so uh, grateful that I was able to continue that throughout my, you know, my educational journey there. Now, what exactly did you focus on for your dissertation then? Yeah, so I focused on understanding the interactional challenges that families had while they were communicating about their companion animals during this end-of-life period. So I wanted to know what kinds of challenges that individuals uh, and within families are experiencing and then how they're responding to those challenges. Um, There is quite a bit of research out there in um, death and dying, but from a human perspective, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so we know that there are a number of challenges that people face. There are financial concerns. There are caregiving responsibility concerns. There are medical concerns, a whole host of concerns that individuals encounter and that families manage and deal with. And I was curious to know, okay, are families dealing with some similar challenges and particularly some interesting or particular communication challenges? And then if so, how are they responding to those challenges? So that was the overall uh, subject of my dissertation and my research at Purdue. 
Gotcha. And you did you did interviews for this, right? Is that what you did? I, I did. Yes, I used okay. uh, qualitative methods. Um, so mm -hmm. I used interviews. Uh, I interviewed almost 30 people, uh, 30 individuals. Um, to talk about their experiences with the uh, pet death and dying period. And then I analyzed the themes that emerged from that interview data. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's cool. What were some of like the main themes that you did end up finding? Like how are, how do families communicate about, you know, like their pets dying? Because I think like when you say that and you think, yeah, families probably are going through some different, you know, communication problems uh, with, you know, the death of a pet than just, a couple would you know or an individual yeah. person so yeah that's pretty interesting to me but anyway yeah what are some of those themes <laughs> yeah absolutely so some of these themes were some were similar and then some of them were different so one interesting piece that came out of my research was not entirely unexpected uh, i found that many of my participants were describing their their pets or their companion animals as part of this social life of their households, mm -hmm. but with varying degrees as well and with varying degrees of attachment. Like we're not all equally attached to our, our family members, right? Or our extended yep. family members. We have that within our families. And that was the case with their pets, right? As well. So some people were more attached than others. Um, and it just, I think, turned out with the course of my research that most people who really wanted to talk to me and agreed to be in my study were, um, you know, were kind of the primary person who was like, I really felt very attached to that pet. So um, just yeah. by the nature of that research, right? Um, so, but, you know, one thing with that, I also I found that pets were very um, kind of integrated into what I termed the family tapestry. So they were a part of family life um, and they were also kind of as catalyst for connection amongst family members. And what I also found with that is a death of an animal or that death and dying period, that event and those experiences definitely reverberated out through the family. So um, for my research, I use something called um, family systems theory to kind of understand my data as a framework for my data. Um, and so the idea behind family systems theory is the family is this really complex social unit. So for example, like what affects one member of the family affects other members of the family, right? There are patterns that families have, right? So you probably can see that, you know, see this in your own family, right? Like families have patterns and we kind of reproduce those patterns and regulate those patterns. So, um, so, that, that, so a death and dying period really um, affected the family as a whole, right? To different degrees as well. Mm -hmm. um, and then the, the second uh, finding is that, you know, there were many, there were many of the same like worries and concerns that people had with human death. Like they also experienced that with pet death, like people mm -hmm. worried about paying for their animals care. People worried about who was, who was going to take care of the animal or like some of my participants that that burden, that caregiving burden was like squarely on them. And they described how difficult that was at times. Um, so that kind of took shape in a slightly different way. But um, part of my research, uh, I, I, ta I talk about that, that animals and companion animals, they exist in this really kind of interesting space like they're they're right at the edge of like a true family member mm -hmm. um but like you're it, i mean i don't want to, to do a pure analogy between children and pets because they are definitely obviously very, very <laughs> yeah. different i'm definitely yep. you know premise that but pets you know they know their their fate is exclusively in the hands of the family right exclusively whether they live or die their care exclusively in the hands and so 
people appeared oftentimes kind of conflicted in terms of like the end of life period. If they had to put the animal down, they had to make that decision. And sometimes it was an individual decision. Sometimes it was a decision that was made amongst family members, but you know, because obviously pets cannot talk, they cannot tell us what they need. And so there was a lot of um, kind of a feeling of guilt, a feeling of responsibility that my participants talked about quite a bit. Um, and so they experienced kind of this tension oftentimes about, okay, is it time? Is it not time? Even when they had advice of a veterinary professional, they were still conflicted, right? Um, and so, um, and then finally coming back around to like this communication perspective, obviously, mm -hmm. is that, you know, pet death had this potential to just disrupt a family's communication pattern. So there was, a, uh, my participants talked a lot about like the recognition that something had changed within the family uh, dynamic, something was missing, there was a vacuum, right? Um, and so people also talked, or my participants also talked specifically about this decrease in communication um, and degree, decrease in talk about the pet itself and also hmm. about um, amongst one another within the family. So this kind of death and dying event, either leading up to it and, or after, had the potential to just disrupt communication, right? And a family's regular communication patterns. So um, I don't think that this is that much different when we lose a person, but we don't have this distinct social script that's accepted culturally uh, for dealing with pet death. So um, I found that was that was really interesting. So people turned to, turn to online forums for support. People turned to other people who had lost a pet to kind of get that support. Um, so um, those were just a few things I found. There's more, but <laughs> those are the mm -hmm. really interesting, uh, interesting bits that, um, yeah, findings from my dissertation that were I felt were really interesting. Yeah. Well, that one part when you're talking about people, you know, I would imagine what you're what you're saying is people are looking for other people to sympathize with them over the loss of their pet and that sort of thing. And I think so often people don't feel like they can necessarily go to other people for that because they're not going to be understood about how important this animal was to them and how it really was like a child or or whatever. Because I know I've interacted with some people with like it's just a dog doesn't matter. Um, so, so they're potentially concerned about running into that, which increases your grief, I think, Absolutely. by discounting it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that, that discounting that you described is very similar to what we call um, disenfranchised grief. I don't know if you've heard, heard about yes. that. Yes. Right. So, cause grief and loss are so difficult to talk about in our society. Um, and so we know that some kinds of grief are deemed as a society like less acceptable and then mm -hmm. more acceptable. Uh, and so the grief that we've deemed as less acceptable is called disenfranchised grief. Um, so this was originally a study kind of looking at, for example, people who are grieving um, the death of like an ex-partner, right? Someone you are not close to now perhaps, but you, you, that person has died and you still feel grief for that person, right? And you might get messages from people saying, oh, well, you're not, that person's not your partner anymore. You know, why are you so sad kind of thing, right? Um, or um, originally this was studied looking at someone who died, um, you know, by suicide or a disease that we find like difficult to talk about at this time mm -hmm. with AIDS, right? So, yeah. you know, you might recognize this exactly what you described and you was like, oh, well, like, you know, it's been six months, you need to move on, right? Yeah. Or you're not even that close to that person. Why are you mm -hmm. feeling your grief so intense? Or it's been you know, it's been many years, right? So 
Um, so disenfranchised grief has actually been identified with the loss of a pet as well or associated okay. with the loss of a pet as well um, and a, you know a source of disenfranchised grief but it's still been a bit understudied especially within communication and I think that's changing and that's kind of um, you know I, I'm, I'm looking at other research actually that looks at, uh, at that as a as a theme so yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean absolutely and um, you know my participants for the most part I was actually expecting to hear a little bit more about disenfranchised grief. Um, but I think for the, for the most part, they describe people, others as actually being quite supportive. And so they talked about, you know, kind of what that support looked like. Um, but it didn't mean that there weren't, um, that they didn't describe other people telling them, yeah, things like, oh, it was just a cat, you know, for example, right. exactly what you're describing. Yeah. 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 I have a follow-up question. I'm yeah. curious if, do you think that this disenfranchised grief could like kind of vary depending on the type of pet that you had, right? Mm -hmm. Because it it seems to me, uh, just like society in general, or most people are going to be more willing to grieve with you if it was a dog instead of a cat or something mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. Um, so I'm kind of Great. curious if you if you had thought about that at all or looked into that at all. Yeah, Zach, it's a really good point. I think that it kind of comes all down to culture. So right now we are, you know, we there are millions of animals that we that are in. Um, households across the United States. And so you're thinking of more like common, you know, animals like dogs and mm -hmm. cats that people have. Yeah. I mean, I think there was one person in my, one in my, my participants who had a goat. So that was the only that okay. was the animal that was different from uh, mm -hmm. your, you know, your dog or your cat. And so, um, yeah, I think that it could potentially vary. People's reactions could potentially vary. And I'd be interested to see um, to learn a little bit more about that. But yeah, that didn't quite come up in my research. Most most mm -hmm. people who participated in my research were, you know, dog or cat owners with the exception mm -hmm. of that, of that goat, right. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and, um, and I participant in that, in that um, interview kind of made it a point to say, actually, oh, this uh, goat was very much like a dog or something like that, which was interesting as well. So um, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, I think the responses are going to depend on what we deem as, um, normal right um mm -hmm. in terms of our society so yeah yeah I mean to be honest like I I feel like I I can judge people sometimes you know for like the grief that they feel you know it's like yeah it's been you know like six months like why do you still feel that way or like if somebody's like grieving like the death of like their goldfish or something I'm not saying that that's ever happened but if they were doing that I'd probably think like you might need to get over that a little bit right so I'm kind of curious like if I'm curious, I guess, at what point, um, or I guess if there is a point of like where the majority of people will just be like, nah, you need to move on, you know, and like, you shouldn't be grieving that at all kind of thing, you know, so I'm kind of curious if there are like pets, like, say fish, or something like that, that die, and maybe society at large would say like, that's just weird to grieve that, right? I'm kind of curious yeah. if that could be a thing. I think it's context and person dependent, right? Mm -hmm. So, and I think in terms of grief in particular, like the loss and grief literature, you know, I think the most important thing to remember is that, you know, people want to be supported, right? And people want to feel supported. So if someone is grieving a loss, whether that's an animal, a goldfish, a, <laughs> uh, you know, a dog or a cat, or loss of a person, right? Um, like an ex-partner, for example. Um, I mean, I think that 
if you were to kind of design messages for others or try to think about what kind of messages would be most supportive, you know, you just want to be able to support that person, right? And kind of do so in a non-judgmental way. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, I don't know if there is literature out there that talks specifically about like animal specific, you know, disenfranchised grief and the difference gotcha. between those two, but yeah. Gotcha. I'm curious, Sarah, with your uh, experience with this research and also um, your connection to college students. Mm -hmm. One thing I see, you know, I'm obviously a little bit older. Zach is an, a PhD student and he's my kid. So um, I've been through those college years. And one thing I see with a lot of online groups with, of parents of college students is when they realize that the family dog or cat is dying and they've got to address that with their college student um, and their pains of doing, doing so. And that's something that we went through about a year and a half ago where our cat was dying and she chose her person. Her person was Zach's younger brother, Sam. Mm -hmm. Sam was away at school. So we had to, you know, go through that whole thing of, okay, when is the time to tell him? How do we tell him? Get him home so he can say goodbye. And at the same time, still convincing him that it really is time to let her go. Um, do you have any insight on that sort of situation? Yeah. So what you're describing actually was pretty familiar in terms of the people that I interviewed. So there were, there were some instances of where people described being away at college, for example, when their family dog, the dog that they had been uh, attached to or connected to and grew up with their whole lives uh, was sick and had to, um, you know, and their, their parents, for example, made it quite clear that, you know, this dog was at the end of their life. Um, and so I think that I, mean, I might think about this for a second, actually, because there were a couple different instances where I'm just like kind of thinking about a couple instances. So where they felt um, that they weren't being kind of properly communicated with or mm -hmm. kind of told what was happening and how troubling that was for mm -hmm. for them. And so there were there was one participant who actually described um, them putting their their dog down actually when they were away and how distressing that was and that there wasn't a lot of communication kind of you know between family members for example um, so I mean I think in general as we know like interpersonal communication it's it's really important to kind of be open especially with an event that is. Um, can be potentially traumatic for for everyone involved, mm -hmm. and um, to be able to kind of talk openly about those things. Um, and there was another person um, who also uh, didn't want to know as well, right? And so, wow. um, because they were so busy, and it's not that they didn't uh, uh, kind of care mm -hmm. about what was happening, um, but they just um, didn't, you know, didn't quite want to know at that time. So people had all sorts of different reactions, which was interesting. Um, but I think, you know, being able to, to talk about, um, you know, this kind of potentially traumatic and distressing event within the family is, is, 
in general really important um, because then you'll know kind of how you want to address it with that person. Oh, okay. So you're, you're suggesting have um, sort of like what if kind of conversations with your student. Exactly. Yeah. Cause mm-hmm. you know, it's one thing I've, I think your, your examples are, are so true to life because I've seen so many parents agonizing over this and some decide it's too close to finals. I cannot tell them now. And mm-hmm. so they ignore it, you yes. know, they put it off or others who know I need to do this because otherwise they won't trust me. Um, yeah, that so, could lead to some serious yeah. resentment. Yeah. Yeah. It's just an extremely difficult thing to go through. It is. It absolutely is. And that is something that, um, you know, I knew that when I was you know, interviewing people that it was going to be quite uh, emotional at times. And, and it definitely was for, um, for a lot of my, my participants, um, Mm -hmm. and, and talking about, and talking about this. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think in general, like you said, I, I think, you know, being able to have that kind of that conversation beforehand, um, is really helpful. And again, like the, what if conversation, so, you know, you know, when it comes down to it, what that person might want. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, you know, in general about a lot of things in life, it's generally good to like pre-talk about them, you know, (laughs) like, um, uh, you know, talking about how do you want to handle if a loved one dies, right? You know, like, how do you want to handle that versus a pet? Like, is that going to be handled differently? Uh, So yeah, I think that 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 makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Zach, your dad and I already had this conversation and as it relates to our dog, Mm -hmm. who is like, really close to me. I mean, he, he follows me around. He's my shadow. Mm-hmm. Um, I named my business after him. I mean, it's, we're, we're that close. Mm-hmm. I told, I told Woody, I said, when he dies, you're just going to have to like, pick me up and take me out of the country <laughs> for a couple of weeks. Seriously, it's I am be just not going to be able to handle this. Uh, it's yeah. going to be bad. It is. Yeah. And it, and yeah, for people who haven't had pets, it can be difficult for them to understand Mm-hmm. like the relationship that you can form with them because yeah they're not they're not human sure but pets are like if you have you know nice you know relaxed pets I mean those are going to be some of the most pure you know living beings you will ever be around you know they yes. only love you you know they're they're always like got your back you know that's one thing about pets I never backstab you you know never no. It's <laughs> it's true. And Zach, what you bring up is, is really interesting because um, one thing that I had, you know, look kind of uh, look at in my research is, you know, why do, why do we keep pets in the first place? <laughs> yeah, why, do exactly. we, why do we do this? Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah. um, it's, there are kind of a couple ideas like behind, uh, behind this. Um, and so the social support hypothesis is exactly what you're talking about is that uh, uh, animals provide this um, sense of what kind of well-being because they're constantly there, typically uh, in our homes, right? Mm-hmm. And they're judge, they're non-judgmental, right? And so um, that is one of the reasons that we uh, we think we we keep we keep pets. Um, and then the other one is that we're uh, the biophilia hypothesis is that we're like innately attracted to animals because uh, paying attention to them kind of early on in their evolution actually uh, helped us survive because by paying attention to threats that animals saw perhaps helped us as well survive mm-hmm. and pay attention yeah. to those threats. Yeah. I'm curious if I'm curious if maybe 
the answer is like somewhere like right in between there because uh i mean like you know cats were brought over to the new world to you know help you know eat all the mice on the ships and stuff to protect the food right and then people were like oh wait well we can keep cats in our house and they can eat the mice in our house too and then maybe they then they realize they're like okay well now that the cat's in the house, I actually kind of like the cat. They're kind of cute. You know? <laughs> so I'm wondering, I'm wondering if there's like a little bit of a combination of both there. Like it's logistically a good thing, but it's also like, I guess, a good thing for your mental health too. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And I think that, you know, we're still trying to figure that out, which I find fascinating on its own that we are still trying mm-hmm. to figure out exactly um, why, we do, <laughs> yeah. why we do the things we do. Yeah, it's so, so super interesting. Right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was part of the reason that I, I kind of got interested in this too. I'm, I'm always really interested in looking at things that, you know, we don't normally look at within communication. That's just one of them. So, um, yeah. Yeah. And, and kind of similar to that, um, you know, I think I'm kind of drawn to political communication for a similar reason. You know, it's like, why do we vote? You know, like, why do we vote when, um, you know, there isn't necessarily any benefit other than feeling like you have a say, you know, like there's no yeah. benefit. Um, you know, you're spending your time, your gas money to go to the polls, right? So it's really interesting, like how humans do these things that seemingly on the surface don't necessarily make much sense, but in like a much deeper rooted place, they definitely make a lot of sense. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's one of the reasons I like communication in general and the study Mm -hmm. of communication. And that's oftentimes what I try to to convey to my students is that the things we're gonna be talking about in class or that we're talking about may seem obvious to you, but here's the research behind it. And this is why we do the things we do, or, or at least why we think we do the things we do, right? And so <laughs> yeah. um, that's part of the reason I, I love communication in general because it's kind of uncovering those um, everyday interactions and communication in general and understanding, you know, why we do the things we do in life, right? We're, we're communicating all the time. And so uh, how does that work? Why are we doing it this way, et cetera? So yeah, absolutely. We, we share in that then, Zach. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, do you have any, any questions, mom? What are your thoughts, Sarah, as far as since we're talking about like pet death in relation to communication, what is, what, what are your thoughts around communicating the death of a pet to the, your greater, you know, uh, social connections? You're, you know, people don't live in your household. Yeah, thank you. So moving out from kind of your orbit of your family, you know, I think that people are kind of still trying to figure out how to do that, honestly. So, mm-hmm. and people do that in so many different ways. I mean, I think the internet and social media has provided, I won't even necessarily see a new way, we use it's, it's ubiquitous now, but a way that we haven't had at our disposal in terms of communicating the things that happen to us. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, we're communicating a lot more um, kind of personal topics than we have in the past mm-hmm. through, you know, social media and the internet. Um, and I think at least from my research and other kind of related research I'm doing on this is that, you know, being able to, uh, if you're comfortable, um, 
you know, using kind of support groups, you know, uh, online or um, social media platforms that you feel like you'll, you know, kind of be supported in, or these, you know, groups you'll feel be supported in, um, really do help, right? Because you can find other people that are experiencing something similar to you. Um, so, you know, that is one way that I think at least my participants had utilized in terms mm -hmm. of like finding support after right. the death of their animal. Um, and so that, I mean, certainly is one way. Um, and I think that there, there were quite a, there was quite a lot of description of how that was very supportive, um, even when perhaps uh, their family wasn't necessarily supportive. Uh, most families were, which was, which was good to hear, um, <laughs> but online spaces also provided quite a bit of support as well. And a lot um, of times a safer space. A safer space, yes. Mm -hmm. yes. Yeah, you can stay anonymous and nobody knows who you are. So yeah, everything, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I wanted to, uh, to bring up is that um, the National Communication Association recently uh, created a new division. So the National Communication Association has like, I don't even know how many divisions, like 30 different divisions probably. A lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Basically that are all focused on like different aspects of communication, right? So there's like an interpersonal group. There's a, the, you know, there's a group for basically everything, but they just added one on death and dying. Uh, mm -hmm. So that's going to be pretty interesting. So yeah, I mean, the National Communication Association is also starting to see the importance in talking about death and the research around it too. So I'm so happy to hear that, Zach, because um, yeah, I was kind of part of those conversations too. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm very, very happy to hear that. Um, that has something that was something that was ongoing. So um, mm -hmm. that's great. <laughs> I'm glad to hear yeah. that. I'm glad you could have added that division. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. So I mean, one of the the, the challenges too with um, kind of our our national you know associations is. is um, you have to go through this very um, distinct process of proposing like a new, you know, a new division. It is a very yeah. lengthy, lengthy process. So um, yeah, I'm very, very glad to hear that. Um, so mm -hmm. I think it should be um, really interesting um, kind of what comes out of that and the scholars that are able to contribute um, to that division and kind of get that conversation around death and dying and maybe make it a little bit less scary. Mm -hmm. Next up, maybe we need a pet communication division <laughs> i mean we'll we're gonna see. need some more people we're gonna need some more people other than you in the division <laughs> <laughs> are there how many other active researchers are there who are looking at you know pet communication and related things do you know yeah that's a great question i don't think i have a number off the top of my head but there are yeah. a handful there are a okay. handful there are scholars that are looking um at the discourse and communication um for example around um uh, animals and natural um, events like hurricanes, for example, mm -hmm. oftentimes mm -hmm. people don't want to leave their animals. Um, so from, an, uh, you know, it, when the, for example, hurricanes um, kind of blow through and that people have to evacuate. Um, so I know some scholars that are looking at that from the organizational perspective. Um, and then there's this whole other uh, kind of interdisciplinary field actually called human animal studies. I don't know if you've heard of that, um, but- I have, yeah. I think, <laughs> but yeah, can you go into it and tell us yeah. a little bit about it? So it's an inter interdisciplinary field um, that looks at animals and the presence of animals and how it affects human life. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. I'm, I love how we're starting to get more, um, not even just in the communication field, but also in a lot of the other social sciences. Um, we're starting to see a lot more research around how the natural world kind of influences how we communicate with each other, you know? Um, so to me, that's super interesting, right? Like the climate that you grew up in and how that can affect, you know, like the way that you socialize with people. I just, that is just so fascinating to me. Yeah, right. It's really interesting because of course, communication, we're, you know, we're surrounded by our environment. We're surrounded by animals. We're surrounded by kind of natural world as a whole. And we can't, it's, we have been thinking of those two things separately, um, mm -hmm. but maybe we don't, maybe we shouldn't. <laughs> right. Um, so yeah, it's, it's so, you know, communication is uh, definitely a part of like human animal studies as, as, as a whole as well. So, um, and I, I hope that we have more of a presence in the future. Definitely. Uh, we're starting to get close to uh, about the time that we're, we normally do, but uh, mom, do you have any uh, additional questions for Sarah? I don't necessarily have any other questions. I just want to say, I think it's so great that you're doing this work because I think it's something that's, you know, really needs some more attention. Um, animals, our pets are such an important part of our lives and to not acknowledge what you go through as their life ends, I think is, is unfortunate and um, giving people better ideas of how to come to grasp with that, I think is, is so valuable. So thank you. Thank you so much. It was so fun. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, so normally, Sarah, we, we end each of our discussions with like, if you have one communication tip, uh, you know, to share with our listeners, like what would that tip be? So this could be a tip that's specific to your field, you know, like your research interests, or it could just be more, more broadly about communication in general. So kind of whatever you want to go for. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the recommendations which we've talked about previously yep. from the study of grief and loss is the way in which we can provide social support to other people who are going through a loss, right? And um, the way in which we can provide support that is the most well-received generally is to not try and just give advice if someone has mm -hmm. experienced a loss, right? Or messages that minimize the significance of that loss for that person. So if you've had you know, someone say to you, oh, you know, you'll move on soon, right? Or you can just get another pet, right? Um, you know, this can be kind of hurtful to people who are grieving. So, you know, a better way to provide support is to express concern and to listen. So you could say something like, well, tell me a little bit about the person or the animal you lost, right? Right. Um, so this isn't necessarily my personal tip uh, necessarily, um, but I think that another, um, Another, another tip or another bit of advice that I could give that came out of my research is that, you know, don't expect that this is an insignificant event for a family, right? A death of a pet in general, um, that it might affect the family in different ways. Um, and that the death, you know, the death and dying event can affect communication within a family in particular. Um, and can also affect family dynamics. So I think the most, the general tip remains the same is to um, listen, you know, listen, listening is more supportive than minimizing the loss. Great. Thank you, Sarah. Um, so yeah, this has been a really great episode. Uh, definitely different from other ones that we've done in the past, which is great. Uh, we love getting like unique 
communication perspective. So it's amazing. Uh, we love this. So yeah, thank you very much. Thank you so yeah. much. I, I love the fact that you came on because I think, like I said, what you had to offer, so many people can benefit from it. So mm -hmm. thanks for yeah. your time. Thank you so much.